And when one has learned to walk like a gentleman, one must always remember to talk like one. You know, some people you walk up to, oh, g'day mate, how are you going? And others you walk up to, well, you know, I used to say, pleased to meet you, but that's not the done thing. Now you're supposed to say, how do you do? Having mastered the art of good conversation, the done thing these days is to hold a good dinner party. Remember, cutting edges are always turned... To left-hand side. Yes, turned inwards or turned, yes, left, or in, in, to the left. Oh, the napkin, yes. It should always be called a napkin, not a serviette. No. Sure to. That was from 1987, believe it or not. Some young men trying to, quote, better themselves to improve their manners and to learn how to mix in different circles. It's surprising, perhaps, that classes like this continued as late as the 80s, especially for men, when I think it's fair to say women had mostly given up that finishing school stuff. Perhaps that lovely clip from our archives is really very amusing, isn't it? Is more a comment on class in Australia than anything else. But you heard there a reference to the art of good conversation. And in our current world of oversharing, which is really what we've been just talking about uh, with Professor Kossoff, it would seem there's an eagerness to reinstate some boundaries or personal discipline when we communicate. That's according to the American writer Michael Waters, who's been reflecting on whether we know too much about those around us. Too much information, TMI as they say. He thinks there's a bit of a backlash against oversharing. Hello there, Michael. Thank you so much. So great to talk to you. And I will share that you're the author of a recent piece, which certainly got us in, in The Atlantic, called The Decline of Etiquette and the Rise of Boundaries. Can you explain what you think is happening socially? I mean, what interested me in this piece is essentially this phenomenon that I've been witnessing, and I think a lot of people have been witnessing, especially on social media, which is people sort of finding new ways to share less. Like, especially in the early days of social media, there is this tension and this sort of push inherent in the platforms to get us to open up and to talk as much about ourselves as possible. And, you know, that's good for the business of these companies as well, sort of not incidentally. But now you're seeing, not only in the platforms themselves, you're seeing these um, features like Twitter Circle or Instagram Close Friends, where you limit actually who you share to. But you also see like a lot of people talking about and coining new phrases like on TikTok, for instance, um, this phrase trauma dumping has become really popular to talk about essentially people who are sort of some people feel that they're sharing two emotional stories out of context or in the wrong space. And so essentially like what I've witnessed is the conversation turning a little bit to people trying to talk about like how you navigate boundaries on especially the internet and this thing in which, you know, we all are suddenly given these big microphones. Um, Mm. And I think it's a really interesting cultural moment that we're living in. Very interesting indeed. Um, If we look back at more socially rigid eras, like the 1950s dinner party is an example that you use for where certain things could not be discussed. And thankfully, a lot of those conversational taboos have fallen away because they do seem rather dated. But you really (laughs) are... (laughs) I mean, there's a gorgeous story, for instance, that I did laugh at 
where, in fact, uh, in the French Navy in the 1920s, you say enlistees would place small objects like a miniature boat hook or a tiny ladder on the dinner table to warn people they were on the verge of a conversational faux pas. <laughs> These are obviously very hierarchical societies. Yeah, absolutely. And there was this concern for so long. I mean, you see sort of the rise of etiquette manuals dating back to even the 1600s across Europe. Um, there was this really long-term concern around etiquette and conversations. And that often meant, you know, like you said, it was often um, like enforced via class and sort of other power structures. And it also often meant limits on what would be allowed to share. And when you look at some of these old etiquette manuals, it is probably funny to us in our modern sensibilities what people would take offense at. Um, just the question of where have you been was considered impolite in certain of these older, um, early modern etiquette manuals. And there was always this concern with how do you enforce conversation and sort of rules of conversation to make people as comfortable as possible. And that often meant make sure people don't share too much. And sort of that continued in different ways. It obviously sort of changed exactly the rules of what was permitted to share, but that continued, you know, into the 1950s. Like you mentioned um, in the piece, I talked about this American, sort of this social engineering video that essentially instructed people how they should behave at a, a nightly meal for a typical white American nuclear family, at least that was, as it was constructed then. And basically, I mean, it was saying, like, don't say anything uncomfortable. You know, don't ask about money. Don't share too much about yourself. Certainly your don't day. talk about sex. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so I think that, like, what you start to see, especially in the latter half of the 20th century, is you start to see increasingly people push against that. Um, and that came from a lot of different corners. And it was a very complicated process. But you see more open conversations about sex. You see more open conversations about mental health. Um, and these were really important trends that I think have like in general cemented this idea to us that we're becoming a more open society and that we permit more kinds of sharing, at least in theory, than we did, you know, 50 years ago. Yes. Um, and, and, so and do you think this is only happening in social media, Michael, or in face-to-face -face interactions or both or what? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, but I do think social media is an interesting lens through which to analyze this, because I think that what is happening on social media right now is just this kind of context collapse that I think is a little bit specific to the internet, which is that we used to have these very clear ideas of sort of who we were sharing with. And we would know, you know, in the workplace necessarily, um, you might say something different than you would say to a group of friends. Like you might not talk about certain things to your boss that you talk about to a close friend. And on the internet, what you see is this again, this collapse of context around exactly who you're talking to at a given moment. And we all have these imagined audiences that are going to see our posts on Facebook or Twitter, on TikTok. But it's actually, you know, sort of a much larger group of people. And it's often people we don't imagine will be consuming our content, which sort of leads to this feeling that there is oversharing. I do also think there's a an offline component to it, even when you look at the workplace. And I do think a lot of that, for instance, comes out of these ideas about, you know, like bringing your whole self to work, mm. for instance, which is a very honorable idea about, you know, like making sure that people are comfortable and are able to be, you know, as much of themselves as they want to be, at least in theory. But I do think other people experience it as 
they're being sort of pushed to share more than they want to in a workplace when, you know, really what they want to do is they want to clock out at the end of the day and not think about it. Quite. Uh, No, I agree. I mean, do you think there's an increasing demand for more private versions of social media? Uh, Just leave the workplace aside for a moment. I'll try to come back to it. Do you detect that there's something quite significant moving or not? Yeah, I mean, I think that people are becoming more aware of sort of how algorithms work and how what they post can be taken into new contexts and seen by new people. And I do think that's also why you see on existing social sites like Instagram or Twitter, you see these new tools that let you pre-select which of your followers or which of your friends you want to be able to see your posts. But I also think all of this is actually kind of normal in the larger context of history, especially when it comes to technology. To some extent, there has always been adjustment periods whenever there are new communication technologies that are invented. Um, One example that I really liked, for instance, when postcards were first invented um, in the middle of the 19th century, that also created a kind of moral panic around sharing and oversharing because people who had been used to writing these very long, you know, multi-page confessional letters to each other, some people began to panic that you know, postcards, which are just these like quick messages that you could dash off, would lead to people sharing sort of mundane thoughts that like didn't need to be captured, didn't need to be shared, and would create this world in which people were telling too much about themselves. And that sounds kind of silly today, but I do think part of that is a natural adjustment, a period with a new technology. And we sort of have to learn a new set of rules yes. or assimilate it into our lives in different ways. And we're kind of in the middle of that right well, now. The, tel- the, the telephone was the classic example of that going right back into the early 20th century. You know, there very much were new codes. Anybody who's watched Downton Abbey knows that. I mean, this can be very important, say, you talk about new technology. The confessional television was like this, wasn't it? Where the, the rise of the talk show TV, which is certainly in the Arab world, for instance, just as an example, there very wary of a lot of that. That, that. That's considered a very Western phenomenon and they're quite they're quite unsure about it. So, I mean, there can be voyeurism on display. There can be wonderful um, democratic sharing, but it's not straightforward. Yeah, absolutely. To some extent, this is, I mean, while the 21st century, what we're experiencing now does feel unique just because of the unique nature of the way that social media works, I do think that this is a discussion and a sort of push and pull that we've been experiencing for a long time, like with the telephone, for instance, and definitely especially with the rise of talk shows on TV. Um, And it is sort of a similar structure of, you know, suddenly in your house, you can watch people share these things about their lives that you might not hear sort of strangers ever say before. It's just sort of a new kind of opening up of barriers. And that was historically sort of scary to a lot of people. Um, And I do think I should also point out too, just the extent to which so much of this idea of what oversharing means is connected to power. And, you know, certain people and especially women and women of color are obviously like the most targeted with this idea that the things that they share would be considered oversharing. This like this appropriateness over Mm -hmm. who is allowed to share and, and when it's crossing a line is also sort of comes from like the power structures we all exist in. Well, you do say that looking back at the history, 
that uh, oversharing, quotes, quotes, was largely excused in men, but in women, often seen as disgusting. <laughs> uh, and look, one thing before I let you go, the hilarious ruling or sort of sense that dreams are a gratuitous oversharing, which I have to say I completely agree with, uh, <laughs> it, it can be so tedious. People do decide that you've got to hear the detail of their dreams. I know. Well, I mean, I opened this saying that a lot of the early etiquette manuals could feel out of step with the present, but I can really imagine that appearing in one today. <laughs> Look, I think you're onto something. Thank you very much indeed, Michael, for joining us. Thank you for taking the time. And Michael Waters writes for The Atlantic, among other publications. And the piece that led to this interview is called The Decline of Etiquette and the Rise of Boundaries. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations, live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.